Well, it's good to be here with you. I feel a little bit like uh, I've been called to the plate and uh, delivered a difficult situation here with the game on the line and uh, and uh, maybe two strikes against me when I, I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, but I trust that God can bless and that we can have uh, the distractions at a minimum and we can get into... Uh, a message and hear from God as He speaks to us this evening. Uh, a disclaimer here: my wife and I are both just getting over some colds, and I feel pretty pretty good. But I still had some congestion, and today going up and down in the airplane, this one side just basically has locked up, and it sounds like I'm talking in a in a cave or whatever. So that's not uh, uh, so terribly comfortable. Well, we know some of you people, it's good to be here with you in Gladys. Uh, Judy uh, is a relative of many of you, and, uh, and I actually have a relative or, or so of my own here, and uh, it's good to be here with you. I trust that God will be pleased to bless us with his uh, presence in these times together. I think of the... Uh, I want to be talking about the church in these next uh, next evenings. The church is a special institution created by God. Uh, when Jesus was here, he taught much about the kingdom of God. And after Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit fell, the church age began. The church is the organization that God put in place to carry on His work, but it's much more than an organization. In Matthew uh, 16, verse 18, I think it is, part of the phrase there, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is there talking about the triumphant church, the church that, that will prevail, the church that will win. And I used to have a concept about that, the church and Satan's kingdom, almost like there's this conflict going on and these skirmishes all the time. And, you know, someday, though, finally, the church is going to win out. And that's not all bad, I don't think, but I think that wasn't quite what the text is saying. It says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And gates aren't offensive weapons. Gates are there put up to keep others out. And it's like Jesus is saying, the church will storm those gates, guarding Satan's territory. And I like that word picture. What kind of a church are we today? When they look at us, do they see a life of love? People of love working with each other. We are Christ's ambassadors in the world around us. You know, the Bible uses a lot of word pictures to help us grasp spiritual truths. And there's different metaphors that are used for the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he taught, taught almost exclusively in parables. They were like life stories that people could get a hold of and could get a, get a concept of. 
You know, it is as we understand or begin to understand Christ's passion for the church that we can partner with Him in the promotion of that church. And I, that would be my goal and my desire for us here this weekend, this week, that we could capture more of that and, uh, and have that uh, become a real part of us and grab us and grip us. we can grasp the vision that Christ has for His church. A living church, a powerful church, a holy church, a unified church, a biblical church, a kingdom church, a light-bearing church, a light-giving church. A church that's worthy of being Christ's own holy bride. And I just trust that our time together can move us in that direction. How is my voice carrying? Can you hear me out there? It's like I'm almost in an echo here. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, this evening I want to talk about the church as the body of Christ. The human body is an incredible machine. But it's a lot more than just a machine. All of us here tonight have a heart. Everybody got hearts here? Got a few takers in the back there. Okay. Uh, And all of our hearts are beating. How many times do you think your heart beats in a day, Delvin? Rich, what do you think? It's a big number. Susie, what do you say? Any any wild guesses? We'll work through it here on... uh, We'll, we'll do a little math. Nobody wants to stick their neck out. That's fine. 15,000? How much? Okay. Let's do the math. You're closer than that other one was. But uh, 70, 70 beats a minute? More or less? How many minutes in an hour? 60? 4,200? 24 hours a day, roughly 4,000 times 25, 100,000 times. Boom, 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 boom. Now, if that was a stack of $100 bills, that would be quite a bit of money. (laughs) But it isn't. Anyway, the heart of a 70-year-old person has pumped between 40 and 50 million gallons of blood. Milo, that's quite a bit of blood. We have the five senses that keep sending messages to our brain. The human brain weighs like three pounds, half a bag of sugar or a little more. But there's a lot of things that go on in that human brain and in the human mind. The brain is what gives direction to the things that we encounter. The human mind then adds reasoning powers and responds with emotions and reactions to those things around us. The human mind is an incredible, incredible creation. Our bodies work together with a lot of precision. There are so many things that are needed to perform just a simple task. 
I'm standing here in front of you uh, on this call, and I'll let you guess about how big around I am and how much I weigh, but I can be here, and I'm standing, and I'm balanced. I don't know if there's some of you guys that are good in your shops or not, but it would take something to build an object that's six foot tall and weighs 200 pounds and a little more that could balance on two little platforms like that and continually keep making adjustments to stay balanced, to stay upright. You know, I'm up front here. I'm standing. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at my notes. My brain is observing and it's making adjustments. My mind is wanting to communicate with you the things that are going on inside here. Okay? So there's a complex series of events that makes that happen. My voice box is forming words, even if it doesn't sound right to me right now. Meanwhile, my lungs are providing the air. The air is being pushed up through my vocal cords. These vocal cords are stretching and relaxing. My tongue is moving around. My lips are moving. My jaw is opening and closing. And I'm forming words. But it isn't just me up here. Communication involves two people. It's you out there. You are being able to participate in what's going on inside of my head by what's coming out of my mouth. And that's a fairly other, uh, another fairly complex series of events that's happening in you then. These odd-shaped things on our, that we call our outer ears collecting those sounds, at least usually. This one isn't working too good right now. And it funnels those vibrations inside. And those vibrations that are coming from here are hitting that eardrum. And I think, oh, what was that grade school health class? There's three little creatures in there. What, a hammer and an anvil and a stirrup and then maybe the uh, auditory, auditory nerve and how that interprets those vibrations, and you're out there. You are taking part of what's going on inside my mind. Isn't that pretty fascinating? That is pretty neat. But this comes completely naturally. It's spontaneous, it's quick, and it's accurate. With very little effort on your part, and with not a lot of effort on my part. It's incredible, isn't it? I may have spoken 500 words by now this evening. I don't know, maybe more. And you've been able to as much as I've enunciated clearly, whatever, basically pick up every one of those words. 
But while all that is happening inside of me, my heart is beating 70 beats a minute, give or take. My blood is circulating. My stomach is digesting my food. My kidneys are cleaning. And my sweaters are sweating. And I'm still communicating with 80 or 100 of you folks here at one time. Truly, the human mind and the human body are incredible creations. It's no wonder that the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, if the body is working correctly, there's a tremendous amount of coordination that's needed. But when the body is healthy, coordination comes naturally. There's a parallel in the church, obviously. We don't give those functions a second thought when things are working like they should. You know, there's people are fascinated with excellence in physical expression. The Olympics, ah, they're hugely popular. People like to watch those things from a distance and see those people go through their, their feats. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the word picture of the body when he describes the church. I want us to read from verses 12 through 27. Does that sign stay on there all the time, that Bible verse? Not necessarily. I don't know. Sometimes I use a whiteboard when I teach, but I don't necessarily. I don't. I'm fine. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable Upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now... Ye are the body of Christ, and members 
in particular. The first point I want to look at this evening about the body is that it's Christ that is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 1 verse 22, I understood Milo read from Ephesians 2 tonight. Talks about Jesus here in verse 22 of chapter 1, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, verse 23, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In Colossians 1, verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know, it's the head that gives direction to the rest of the body, the physical body. God has given us the ability to make decisions based on the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we touch, the things that we smell, the things that we taste. Our bodies face many things, and our brain takes that information and informs the body how to respond. If you're sitting close to a campfire and you all at once smell rubber burning and you realize it's from your shoe, you think this might be as good a time as any to pull that foot back a little bit. Uh, You wake up in the night and uh, there's a strong smell of smoke in the house, and you realize that's not what should be, and you quickly respond to do that, to do something about that. You're driving, you're coming up to an intersection, and all at once, though you have the right-of-way, you see someone's coming right in front of you, and you hit the brakes. Your eyes have informed you that there's a problem up here. Those eyes take that message to the brain, and the brain takes that message to your foot, and you're there hitting the brake. It's a beautiful picture of how the church should work. We face many, many things. These messages come to us, and our brain gives the information on how to respond to these these, uh, inputs. There's constant messages that are moving from your senses to the brain. Your brain gives out messages on how to avoid danger. God has created us in ways that we want to survive, that we want to want to prosper, that we want to live. But it's not just dangerous things that our senses are sending messages to the brain. Delvin, you've been working hard out in the field all day. It's one of those hot July days. And you come into the house, and Barbara's been working in the kitchen. Is it Barbara? And you smell something coming from the stove. And if your nose is telling the truth, you know it's chocolate chip cookies, and that's your very favorite. And you think to yourself, self, you know what? I don't tell Barbara as often as I should how I appreciate what she does in the kitchen. <laughs> so you head into the kitchen, you know, Barbara, I really appreciate all the things you do for our family. And I don't know how often I've told you, but you're a wonderful lady in the kitchen. If that doesn't get you a chocolate chip cookie or two fresh off the pan, I'm not sure what it'd take. (sighs) 
The messages keep going back and forth between the body and the brain. The brain keeps coordinating the reactions of the body. It's a beautiful picture of what the scriptures say about Christ as the head of the church. It's the head that gives coordination and direction to the rest of the body. And it's so beautiful to see a body that is functioning perfectly as God had it planned. There's others who, through no choice of their own, are dealing with handicaps, live with handicaps. Um, I worked at Faith Mission Home for a while. Many of those, I mean, it was basically a home for people with, with significant handicaps. And it was, a, it was a sad situation. My heart goes out to caregivers. My heart goes out to parents. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful work and a wonderful opportunity to, to show God's love in maybe difficult situations. You know, spiritually, there's churches that have developmental problems. Unfortunately, and maybe I'm just confessing for myself, but when we see a handicapped person, our focus tends to be drawn to the handicapped. It's not always easy to say, my, what a nice dress you have. Those are beautiful shoes you're wearing or whatever. But I think our, our focus tends often, being humans, to look at the handicap. And I've often wondered if that's not how it is with the churches. We live in our communities, and it's not unusual that we have a few wards and a few pimples in our churches, and those aren't always lost on your neighbors. Oh, that we could could uh, show the world the beauty of a functional church. I'm going to try to move through some of this fairly quickly. <clears throat> the church is made up of many members. There are highly visible offices in the church. We read here about there's parts that are less honorable in the body in that passage there in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, less visible parts. You can see parts of my body, but you can't see it all. There's many offices in a church that are nearly invisible. But it's the coordination of these offices that make the church body function well. There's quite a bit involved just to orchestrate a regular Sunday morning service. Do you usually have services in here, or is this just for special evenings, uh, special services? Okay, okay. I didn't, I didn't remember. It's been a little while since I'm here. Well, I don't know. I think it was probably especially then when I was here the last time. So uh, that's fine. But on a given Sunday morning, there's quite a bit of stuff on a big congregation like at home. There's somebody that needs to be in charge of the sound. Uh, there's ushers that need to set up for Sunday school. There's uh, a song leader that's appointed, and he's there, and he's studied up, and he, he's figured out what songs he's going to be leading. And there's the people that have the different parts in the Sunday school, the devotional meditation, then all of the different Sunday school teachers. And there's a lot of things that go into just or 
orchestrating a service to say nothing of the person who comes to bring the message. And uh, there's a lot of those things that, that play together. There's many different things that come to play just for something like a worship service. In the physical world, in our physical bodies, okay, there are people in about every community that are tremendous preachers. And these people may be lost in trying to present a topic or to preach a sermon, but they do it with their hands and they do it in their communities. There's people with all kinds of different giftings that come together to make a church what a church is. In the physical world, God has given some people a very keen sense of smell, for instance. Somebody comes into the house, and his wife's making oatmeal for breakfast, and says, did you forget the salt? Well, I'll get it yet. Those kinds of things. <clears throat> Others have a tremendous sense of touch. Someone else may have a, a really sensitive hearing, not something that I'm struggling with right now, <laughs> or not something that I have an overabundance of right now on this side. Somebody else may have really sharp eyesight. They're super tasters. But the older we get, I think, Leon, we discover some of those things are, you know, decline as we get older. <laughs> I don't think I'm, uh, I mean, I, I acknowledge that I'm not the man I used to be. It reminds me of an elderly friend that I had that said he's about decided that he never was the man he used to be. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, you know, sometimes a person who lacks one of the five senses has a very keen sense in another way. There are people who are blind. I remember uh, hearing someone talk about someone was coming to pick him up. Yeah, I knew it was her, you, because I could hear the, the uh, hubcap how it rattled when you came up. I had a cousin who was basically deaf. He went to school where he learned to read lips with his eyes, and you can carry on a pretty good conversation. It's our uh, shared cousin, Esther. Uh, people have different gifts and abilities. In the body of Christ, there's different abilities as well. Someone may be especially perceptive about false doctrine. I just don't feel right in my spirit about that teaching. My wife and I were in West Africa. Well, probably six or eight years ago, we were in a service. It wasn't uh, the service where I was speaking. And there was something about that worship time and that music. I had a real check in my spirit. I finally told Judy, I think I need to get out of here. I wanted to get some fresh air. And they were nervous because they thought I was walking out on them, I think. <clears throat> Another person may have an intense interest in those people who are hurting. They're the natural ones who reach out when there's someone hurting in the church. Maybe it's his own deep pain in the past that makes him sensitive when he sees other people who are facing pain in their lives. He wants nothing more than to bring healing to the hurt, to bring reconciliation to those who are at odds. 
you know, an attentive body can realize and recognize those gifts. And if it's leadership, they can help empower those people to function in that ministry that God has called them to. And it doesn't have to be an official ordination. It doesn't have to be anything. But there's a tremendous blessing in the diversity of the body to meet those needs, how God has planned it. Diversity in the body is what makes it function well. Verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? You know, if the hands would one day say, have this conversation here, uh, I think I'd rather be feet than hands. How would it be if you had four feet? I guess we have animals like that, livestock like that. Uh, How would we get around if we were all hands. Someone has asked it this way. If we were all feet, how would we smell? The church needs the various members to fulfill the functions of the church. It's not only the visible parts of the body that are important. I've never seen my heart. Milo, have you ever seen your heart? But you got one. Yeah. I understand it is pumped nearly a hundred or around a hundred thousand times a day for 64 years now. If my heart would stop for just a few minutes, what would happen, Rich? I'd die. I'd die. I'd be gone. Is the heart important? I can't see the heart. Yes, it's important. Verses 22 and 23 in another paraphrase or translation. It's actually the opposite. The members who seem to have the weaker functions are necessary to keep the body moving. The body parts that seem less important we treat as some of the most valuable. And those unfit, untamed, unpresentable members we treat with an even greater modesty. You know, people have problems, or can have problems. They can have problems in Kansas, we'll say, and maybe in the Commonwealth of Virginia out there somewhere. People tend to want the visible parts of the body. These people kind of like to be seen or appreciated or acknowledged or whatever. We have a list at home for people to clean the church, church house. We have a fairly good-sized facility there. It's not a real uh, easy job. We have this list. It's not because people are crowding for the opportunity to clean the church house. Oh, good. They're going to let us do it again. (laughs) So it gets done. 
You know, if everyone were in public ministry, who would listen? In working together, much can be accomplished. But when there's disunity, the church suffers. Ah, I'm looking around. Maybe we need just a little bit of a diversion. How many young teenager boys are here tonight? There? 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 What age are you? 20, okay, you just, you carry your 20 well. You two guys back there, and who was here? There? One more. Is that communion table pretty solid? Can I use it for a Thank you guys for your help. <clears throat> I don't know for sure why it is, but it seems to me the work of disunity inside a church is disproportionate with how much good work that it affects. Now, I realize that I weighed more than any of those guys and that it wasn't quite fair for me to be trying to lay on the top of the table. And they were too strong, and I didn't want to break the table. But it seems like this it's almost disproportionate when someone is working against the church, how that can affect the rest of the church. That one person working against it can maybe do what? Negate or, or in some ways, impact what four other men are doing for the church. You know, I read an article probably 25 years ago, might have been, in the, I think, in the Popular Mechanics. It was talking about the 1991 Gulf War. And the U.S. in that Gulf War, the U.S. and maybe the uh, coalition, no, I think the U.S. had 148 combat deaths. 35 
of those 148 deaths were caused by friendly fire. That is to say that the coalition forces were directly responsible for the deaths of a little more than one in five of the casualties on their own side. You know, in the church, there can be a lot of fighting within the church. And there can be a lot of casualties. People can get hurt. You know, the enemy of the church doesn't limit his attacks from the outside. If he can get people inside the church to launch his attacks, I think he's plenty well pleased. You know, I can imagine a certain smugness on the part of army generals if they're there watching the battle unfold and see, hmm, they just took out some of their own guys over there. That was kind of neat. And I can picture Satan as well being gleeful when he sees the church, the people that are fighting inside the church and waging the warfare. The carnal weapons, it's often related to the weapons of pride, of arrogance, of jealousy. Those same kinds of sin that cast Lucifer out of heaven in the first place. Leadership teams, and I think we'll talk about this more maybe tomorrow night. They need a united focus. Jealousy can tear down what God wants to build up. You know, King Saul was anointed by the prophet Samuel. King Saul had tremendous promise of this man chosen and anointed by God's own prophet. But Saul later became consumed with jealousy. He had his ego to protect, and the cause of God's people suffered terribly. Instead of fighting the Philistines, he took off after David. You know, as his mind was burning with jealousy. His eyes were taken off of the enemy, and his effective leadership was ruined. The church needs leaders who are focused on Christ's kingdom and who are united against the enemy, their souls. A healthy body needs nourishment to grow. You have some farmers still in this community. If your calf isn't eating, what's that a sign of? Or what's liable to happen? That calf, calf isn't feeling too well. It's not too healthy. If that doesn't change, turn around. Uh, that calf will likely or may well die. To remain healthy requires a balanced diet. You pastors are the ones who feed the flock over which the Lord has made you overseers. Do you preach the easy sermons or do you preach doctrine and theology as well? You know, there are food sources for livestock which are downright toxic. Uh, I have pastored cattle on alfalfa over the years some. And alfalfa is a tremendous feed source. But green-growing alfalfa can be toxic. It can cause bloating in the, in the cattle, and it has to be managed very carefully. Uh, a year or two ago, I was picking up some hay 
uh, at a place where I farm not too far away. And as I was hauling hay across there, I saw the, the cattle that had been pastured out in the, in the field on that same farm. They weren't my cattle. And all at once, my gaze was arrested. There was something amiss out there. I'm in that group of maybe 20 head of cattle. Maybe six, five, six, seven of them were laying with the arm, with their uh, with their legs sticking out, and uh, completely unnatural and uh, not reassuring for the owners. I called the or texted, got a message to the people who had the cattle, and they checked into it. And apparently, someone who had been doing a lawn care service was dumping clippings there for the cattle to uh, eat, and uh, you shrubs, clippings are apparently extremely toxic to animals, and there was like six or seven, I think maybe one died after, I mean, they, they quickly came over to move cattle, it was a very sad situation. When my cattle are well fed, they're a pretty contented lot. When they're hungry, they can be a little discontented. There's parallels in the church, I think. We lived in Nicaragua for about five years. There was a lot of these uh, ponies that were hooked to these carts, and they carried uh, uh, freight for uh, for people like at the lumber yard. They hauled some blocks home for a year, that kind of thing. A lot of times those poor horses looked like they were about starved to death. And they would need to use the whip to keep those horses going and pulling their load. A healthy, well-fed church might not need a lot of the whips. Cancer is something that can attack the body. It can move very quickly. It can be discovered so late but there's really nothing that can be done about it. We uh, lost Judy's brother, basically my age, uh, this last fall. It was like two months after he was diagnosed with cancer. A healthy body is resistant to sickness in the churches as well. If a body is healthy, it can stand some of those storms. And there's a lot of storms attacking the church today. You know, a person, I understand, and this was in the news a lot more, they have discovered ways of dealing with it somewhat that are HIV positive or have AIDS, that kind of thing. Uh, it's when that body loses its ability to fight off infections and sickness by itself. Uh, many times a person died of AIDS, that had AIDS, died of pneumonia or something seemingly almost unrelated. But the body lost its ability to fight off infections. You know, if a person spiritually, through diet choices or through neglect, is barely scraping along spiritually, he's liable to be susceptible to those spiritual diseases and sickness that comes. You know, a healthy body will heal itself quickly 
God has given us men and women a desire to live. Normal people desire life. Our bodies react to pain. They quickly try to protect themselves. I do some construction work. And uh, during the week, I often have minor injuries. We work some with metal roofing. We cut some of that with the tin snips. And so it's not that unusual if I'd be sitting in church to look down and see that I have a little cut here and there, what, on two or three fingers. My finger might get a little sore. If it was a little deeper cut, there might be blood on it. And if I kind of assumed the customer didn't like want to have red trim on this part, I would, you know, maybe wrap it up or take something care of it a bit. Verse 26 in the text we read, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, a healthy body suffers when there's a hurting member. A healthy church will suffer with its hurting member. The circumstances that cause the pain may have been unfortunate. History cannot be undone. But when someone is hurting, we can reach out, even if we would have changed the situation that caused the pain. Galatians 6 talks about the restoration of a hurting member. You know, often we can't see our own faults. How does it say there? Uh, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Often we can't see our own faults. We need the help of another to address the problems in our own lives. I was helping on a roofing project for our then lead pastor, David Yoder, who you know. We were re-roofing his house. And during that project, we were tearing off the old roof. And I got a piece of dirt or wood chunk or something in my eye. It was a large piece. And it was really hurting my eye. And I was unable to address the problem myself. You've got things in your eyes already? It's not a happy time, is it? It can be a pretty painful time. Well, I was unable to address the problem satisfactorily to myself. That might have been before I had glasses. I don't know. I went to Brother David. David, I've got this problem. Could you help me? And he knew what it was. And he was able to go in there, and I don't remember what he went in there with, but he was able to get that thing out that was was uh, bothering my eye. I found a tremendous sense of relief. I had no interest in prolonging the pain. You know, I find that fairly, he found that fairly easy to do when it was my physical eye. But it's quite a bit harder to do when it's our spiritual problem. Jesus talks about the moat and the beam. I think it is. I don't have that. uh, Matthew 7 speaks of the moat and the beam in the eye. You know, if we have a spiritual problem, we may well need the help of another person to help us find our way 
forward to find your way out. You know, when my physical body gets hurt, I'm not liable to belittle that member in front of everyone else. Let's say I hurt my thumb on the job. I don't loudly announce. Guess what my dumb thumb did now? <laughs> I was swinging a hammer with my right hand, and suddenly this thumb jumped in front of the hammer. And now it's all bloody, stupid thumb. It wasn't exactly a surprise that this hammer was swinging. I mean, I was doing it off and on all day. The, the, the thumb should have known better and should have known that if it got between the hammer and the nail, there would be damage. Well, that's just part of the story. Often it was some glancing blow from the one who's holding the hammer that caused the, 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 the injury. You know, I don't spend a lot of time belittling or blaming that thumb. Instead of that, my body jumps in to respond. And if it was a really hard hit, you guys know what you do. You kind of, and then maybe you even suck on it a little bit to see if you can take some of the pain away. Why should it be different in the church? When we see a brother or sister is hurting in the church, do we grieve or do we gossip? Do we extend our hands to help or do we extend our hands to pick up rocks to throw? You know, God has created the body, our human body, with the tremendous ability to heal itself. I can expect those three or four cuts that I may glance at on a Sunday morning when I'm sitting in church on one finger to be completely healed by the next week. Meanwhile, I might have four new cuts on another finger. We constantly deal with small inconveniences in our bodies, but sometimes our bodies suffer deep and traumatic wounds. I have a friend who was in a terrible car accident. He lay in a coma for many days. Eventually, he gained, regained consciousness. Slowly, he got back a part of his health. Today, he still walks with a limp. His face was somewhat disfigured from the accident. His body still carries scars from that terrible injury. Without the intervention of skilled medical personnel, he would very likely have died even on the scene of the accident. You know, a person who has experienced life-threatening physical wounds is seldom restored to full health on his own efforts alone. Often a team of doctors work feverishly to try and save a life. In our spirits, in the spirits of the people in our churches, there have been some deep wounds. There have been some deep hurts. Oftentimes, it takes the help of others, maybe a team of others, intervening to help bring healing and grace to a person like that. You know, there may be a scar or a limp in the end, but God can heal when the rest of the body is healthy. The person can be restored to usefulness and service 
but the scar or limp may never completely disappear. A limp reminds both the injured and the onlookers of the pain that was experienced. Let's be available to the hurting member. Let's minister healing instead of more hurting. May restoration be always be our goal. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We need to weep with those that weep. A friend in need is a friend indeed. We need caring hearts that sense when our brother is hurting. Reach out to him, the good Samaritan, the neighbor, the despised Samaritan. Got this right. I had a friend, his name was Milton. He attended our church for quite a while. He actually lived down in Oklahoma, about two hours away. And he experienced a lot of health problems. He was diabetic. He had a bad accident where he slipped on the ice. And uh, doctors tried to patch up his ankle with plates, screws, rods. I don't remember what all they tried to use. But his body was fighting the things that they had done to intervene. He was on strong antibiotics for probably close to a year. But the staph infection was resisting the antibody. And now the doctors were talking about maybe needing to amputate his leg. And as I visited with Milton over the phone, I could feel the pain, the fear, the uncertainty as he faced the prospect of losing his foot. Later on, the doctors did amputate his foot. Milton didn't thrive after that. He was in a nursing home for a while, and uh, he passed. I don't know, was it within a year at that time or not? I don't know. You know, if someone was to tell me, a doctor, lower, we're going to have to take off your leg. Let's take it off right, you know, at the knee or above the knee or whatever. That would be a pretty serious thing to contemplate. You know, in the body of Christ, it bothers me sometimes how casually we view people leaving our fellowships. Maybe some even express relief at seeing someone leave. Paul says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Verse 26, we need to honor those who are honored. We need to rejoice with those who that rejoice. When someone is blessed of God, let's share his joy. Oftentimes, we, we can be too proud to offer a sincere compliment to our brother. We think that would somehow diminish our importance if I acknowledge the strength of a brother. You know, if we're jealous, it's hard to rejoice with another brother. But if we're generous, we can rejoice with great joy at the success of our brother. You know, I think sometimes if we would rejoice more with those that rejoice, we might not have to weep quite as much with those who weep. Chew on that one for a little. Emotionally, we are fragile beings. We reach out for affirmation from others. And at the same time, we're selfish by nature. So our tendency is to withhold rejoicing with those who are reaching for us. Let's rejoice with those and honor and bless and encourage people.
something to happen to me. It was a small thing. It wasn't even a direct compliment, but it was something that made an impression on me as a six-year-old. I won't go into that because of time. In conclusion, we've gathered here as a body this evening. Each one of us is part of a spiritual body. You're here a part of Bethel Mennonite Church, what do you call yourselves? Bethel Mennonite Church, okay. How is your body health today? Let's remember several things. As we look at the church, we think of the church as the body of Christ. Number one, if the body is to be coordinated and functioning as God has planned, it must be under Christ, the head of the body. The church is made up of many members. Diversity is what makes for harmony and function in the body. A healthy body needs nourishment to grow. A healthy body is resistant to sickness. A healthy body will heal itself quickly. quickly. We should suffer with those who suffer, and we should honor those who are honored. Together, let's strive to be vital members in a living, vibrant, and healthy church body till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's all stand for prayer. Thank you, dear God, for your presence here with us this evening. Thank you for this fresh look we could take. At the church, as a body, the word pictures and the ways that uh, we could be blessed as we thought of the imagery of what you would like to do in a group of individuals that make up a church. Just help us to be that living body functioning under your head for your glory. Bless everyone here and give them safety on their way home and bless this uh, these coming nights together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.